Hi, and thanks for joining Interesting People for 20, where in each episode we'll be speaking with people who have stories that are inspirational, motivational, and often truly amazing. This 20-minute quick podcast is meant to be something you can listen to at lunch, on a break, or out for a short walk. We'll hear about achievements, setbacks, and the challenges you might not normally see. Just about everyone has an interesting story, if you ask. I'm Eric Cohen, your host. I'm an inventor, technologist, and sometimes cyclist, but most importantly, I love a good story, and I really hope you find my guests as interesting as I do. In today's podcast, I welcome Dr. Rana El Kayubi, an AI pioneer who received her PhD at Cambridge University, started a company called Affectiva, and has been developing technologies for high-tech applications like automobiles and for healthcare. But this podcast isn't really about any of that. When Rana and I chatted before the podcast about what she wanted to talk about, she decided on dating, and she wanted the conversation to be open and honest. Hey, Rana, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. I'd love to start our conversation first by talking about a little history. I've known you for a few years since we first met at CES in 2020, when we were actually right live with people before the world shut down. And I remember you were laser focused on building Affectiva. In fact, you once called it your third child. Catch me up on what life was like then and what it's like now for you after the SmartEye acquisition. Yeah, it's been 10 months since the acquisition. Um, And it's different for sure. So Affectiva was absolutely my third baby. Um, You know, my daughter is 18, my son is 13, and Affectiva was born the same year Adam was born. So um, yeah, and and, and at the time, we were very focused on getting the technology into the automotive industry. And as you know, SmartEye was one of our um, kind of biggest competitors. And we decided to join forces June of last year. It's, it was in the making for, you know, for, for a good, I'd say, 10 months or so prior to that. My role there is deputy CEO, which is a different role, right? It's, it's basically I tag team with Martin, our CEO, to um, um, execute our vision and our strategy. Um, but it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it is definitely a different role. Now at SmartEye, do you still have that same uh, day-to-day pressure and stress that, that you had at Effectiva? say I still obviously care deeply about SmartEye and I'm very invested in the success of the company. Um, A big part of what I used to do at Affectiva was kind of raising money for the company. And and that is a, you know, as a private venture backed company that took a lot of time and mindshare. So it's different at SmartEye. I don't really have to worry about that as much. Um, So that's a good thing. So it's definitely freed up more of my time. I remember before you were acquired by SmartEye, you were thinking about a new fundraise. But after the acquisition, the tables have turned, right? And and you're actually doing some investing. Talk talk a little bit about that, Rana. Yeah, one of the things that I've really wanted to do over the last few years is to start my own venture fund. And uh, I'm excited to share that, yeah, I'm launching an early stage AI-focused fund. And of um, course, it's AI-focused. Right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because AI is still undervalued and companies that 
what I call like AI first that are really like where AI is really deeply ingrained and in how they do things, how they go to market, how they build their technology. These companies um, are, are, are going to be super successful across industries. And so, um, yeah, the fund's ideas to find and identify and support these um, AI companies. I'm doing it with uh, Rob May, who's a Boston-based serial entrepreneur turned investor. He and I have known each other for a good six or so years. I really admire him and respect him, and, and, and I'm excited that we're tagging team. We also brought in Professor Kareem Lakhani from the Harvard Business School. He teaches, um, he wrote the book Age of AI, and he teaches a class on um, AI first companies, and I co teach it with him. I'm actually wearing a Harvard Business School vest. Oh, there you go. Right now. Yeah. See this? There you go. I know you did. Did you get one? I did not. Oh. Well, maybe I'll I'll have to put in a, in a good word for you. You're doing some investing. I saw Whoop on the list. That's that's kind of crazy. Talk about some of the other companies that you're that you're investing. Yeah, in. Whoop is definitely a small angel invest investment. It's not out of the fund, um, but one of the first investments we did out of the fund, and the fund is still very early. It's very early days. We're still you know kind of setting it up, but our first investment was in a company. A dating app called Smile. And I was just fascinated by the underlying technology. So the, the theory is um, humor plays a huge role in uh, relationships and relationship building, especially in the early days. So if there's share, shared laughter, banter, teasing, like that always um, kind of is a key element or ingredient of a successful relationship. And so uh, Melissa, the CEO and founder, she's a Boston College physicist, actually, um, but she was having trouble with the existing dating apps. So she decided to, um, yeah, create this new dating app. It uses, it basically has people engaging with content and then using AI and machine learning, it can infer your humor profile and then match you up with people who have similar humor profiles. For people that don't know you, Rana, talk a little bit about how you know so much about yeah. uh, machine vision and how and how machine learning works. Oh, absolutely. I've spent the last 20 plus years building emotional intelligence into our machines. You know, again, spent the last 20 years using computer vision and machine learning and tons of data to train algorithms to detect our facial expressions. And so when I came across Smile, even though it doesn't necessarily use emotion AI, it, it captures this idea that emotions sit at the center of how we connect and communicate with one another. And so it was right up my alley. Um, yeah, and I, I just love supporting um, Melissa as an early stage founder and also as a, you know, as a female founder uh, as well. Just so listeners understand, Ron and I talked about this topic beforehand, so don't think that I'm launching into this very personal discussion about dating without having talked about it with Rana first. Okay, Rana, you're on the dating scene. You invested in the Smile app. How are you using your analytical thinking, all the different dating apps, and how do you think about who, who's the right date, and, and um, how do you think about that? Yeah, oh, we're gonna go uh, there. Okay, alrighty, let's, let's which I've there. never done before, but let's let's give it a try. So I got divorced in 2014, uh, so it's been eight years. And really, when I first got divorced, it was I just moved to Boston with my two young kids, and I was, you know, I doubled down with Affectiva, and I really had no cycles to be out there dating. 
But then in 2019, I decided to try some dating apps and I enlisted my kids to help me set up my dating profile. They helped me pick the pictures and the prompts and they've really been part of the process. Um, but yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm taking a very kind of scientific approach to it. I'm probably on all the dating apps except Tinder. Um, and I, I tell people, I, I feel like I'm almost doing a dissertation on these apps. Like I really, anal- I try to, I try to like analyze the algorithms and reverse engineer, like, why am I being matched with this person? Uh, it's really funny. Um, and I do have a spreadsheet where I track all my dates. It's like, it's like a sales funnel. <laughs> Are you going to publish that spreadsheet? So at least guys have some sense of what the, what the rubric is. Oh. Then they can then they can uh, game the system. That that won't work. <laughs> I'm curious. How do Jana and Adam feel about their mom dating? And when you engage them in the process, how do they respond? I actually think it's awesome. I know people have different points of views around when to involve your kids in the process. You know, I'm I'm a single mom. Most of my family live back in Egypt, and so it's really just the three of us at home. Sometimes my mom visits too. Um, so I, I felt that it's important that I'm transparent with them. And it's just created incredible open conversations with the kids, right? On, you know, before I go on a date, I'll often disclose who the person is, what's their background. After I come back, my daughter is really good at this. She'll look at me and she'll say, yeah, you're not into that person just by my facial expressions, right? Yeah, she can tell. She can tell. So um, I found that Adam tends to be more open, I think. And he's less judgmental than my daughter is. Like Jana's really judgmental. So I tend to share with him first and then, and then, and then I'll, and then I'll fess up and share, share with Jana. So it's been fun though. It's been fun. I've never used a dating app before, but I know you can swipe left or swipe right. I don't even know which is good or bad, but Ron, as you're looking at all the guys and you're trying to decide which ones to engage with, what are the things that you think about? What what kind of rubric do you use to to be making these these quick decisions? You know, to to swipe or not. Two thoughts actually. One is that's the whole problem with the current dating apps. They're so superficial because you're making a you know a millisecond de- decision on whether to swipe left or right on a person's like it's a very quick decision based primarily on looks, but sometimes there's obviously some more information about the profile. Um, but that's that's why I'm excited about Smile Dating app because it's a different paradigm. It's based on something, it's, it's a deeper personal connection. And so I like that. The second is I use a Venn diagram. Of course you do. Talk about, should, should I talk we about should that? definitely talk about it. That's like my I want to hear about your three circle Venn <laughs> so, diagram. Exactly. So imagine three circles. The first one ought to is what I call the intellectual connection. So my guy will will be uh, intellectually curious, will be accomplished, and you know values education. Maybe a lifelong learner, sees the world as ever expanding, and wants to learn and discover and build. Right? Like you know, I'm intense. Right? So, so, so that's like the first circle. The second is what I call the emotional connection. I am a very empathetic human. I'm very playful. I'm joyful. I, um, I'm just kind and compassionate. And I think my, you know, my, my, my guy will have to be that too. And also generous. Like I'm generous in spirit. I like to give back and pay it forward. And 
And I think that's that's important too. So and the third circle. The third is what I call the. I mean, it's the physical connection, right? You, you, yeah. It's I call it the butterfly effect. If I, um, you know, if 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 I meet a person and I don't have that butterfly feeling, then 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 it's then he's probably not my guy. So take all these three circles, and at the intersection of it is um, is my guy, and he's out there. I know it. I know he is too. So you're crushing on a guy, maybe you met him on an app or on the bike or on a Zoom call at work. You have this Venn diagram in your head, right? Yet there's another layer to this. Now, Rana and I talked about this before, that there's nothing off the table in this conversation. So Rana, you're Egyptian, you're Muslim, uh, you have a, there's a strong culture there, right? There's certain roles and expectations of men and women and family. And how does that impact your Venn diagram and your your options for dating? Yeah, and, and you know, we, we you and I discussed this beforehand. Like, should should we should we have an open conversation about this? And I and I think we should because people don't often talk about this at all. And um, I think it's important to have an open conversation and 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 spark you know spark a debate about this. So I grew up in. Egypt and around the Middle East, I'd say my parents are very traditional, even though they supported, you know, I have two younger sisters, they supported our career and our education. They were still pretty traditional. So I was not allowed to date in high school or in college. I basically married the first person I met. Um, Which and, now we would teach our kids not to do, right? Now we say go out right, and meet right. a lot of people like, first before before you settle down. So it, it's very different very now, Very right? different. Um yeah, cultural context and cultural norms. And, you know, as a divorced woman and just as a divorced woman in the Middle East, this whole idea of dating and being on a dating app, it's so stigmatized. And so when I first signed on to those dating apps, I didn't disclose this to anybody in my network. I still struggle with that a little bit. Back home when I, you know, we visit a few times a year when I see my friends and I give them, a, you know, a dating update you can still see that there's this, there is, there is a little bit of a stigma around, you know, a Middle Eastern woman being on a dating app, but, but that's, that's like back home and I'm not dating back home. So that's okay here though. I have to struggle with, um, you know, my culture and my faith are very important to me and I have to reconcile the rules I grew up with, with being kind of out there and meeting new people and, um, and, and just the concept of dating, like I've yet to introduce anybody I've, I've matched and gone, gone out with to my family or my friends, like some, of, you know, my kids have met some guys um, for, for dinner or lunch, but, but I haven't integrated anybody yet into my life. And that's hard because, um, because again, again, it's, it's just very uncomfortable for me and very new. Um and, and then there are, you know, even things like I don't drink. I'm Muslim and I don't drink. And does that um, impact your perception and, of them or someone's perception of you? And and you're you're wanting to to date because I of am that? definitely open to people who who, who drink. I pre, you know I acknowledge and appreciate that that that's the norm here. I'm okay with that. Um, but 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 I have met men who, you know, once they find out that I don't drink, they basically say, oh, like, I'm not interested anymore. Let's talk a little bit about, and, and I started to get there a few minutes ago, but let's go back to it. Rana, you're successful. Uh, you're out there in the public. People know you. You're a CEO. You're 
you're confident, you're funny. <laughs> What's that? Sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> Do you ever hear that guys are intimidated by this confidence and success? That yeah, you, you know, have? so it's it's interesting. On these dating apps, you usually don't put your last name. You just put your last, you, you know, it's just your first name, but a little bit of information. And it's so easy to find me online, right? So anybody who takes like a couple of seconds to search Rana, AI, emotions, whatever, they find me right away. And um, it's been interesting. Like just this morning, I, I got a note from from a guy I matched with on Bumble who said, whoa, I looked you up and I'm like, I have to say I'm super intimidated by you. Now, I would like to think that when people meet me in person, I'm very relatable. I'm very warm and um, yeah, and I'm I'm kind of playful and, 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 and fun. So I, I don't, you know, I, I, I am a girl boss, but I'm a cute one, I think. <laughs> so, um, but, but, but I guess people don't know that when they Google me and they're like, whoa, she's intense. Right. And, and that works for some men and it doesn't work for some other men. And, and that's been a challenge. Maybe to pierce that veil just a little bit. I know that one of your favorite things to do is karaoke. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, I love doing karaoke. I, I love music in general. So I, I love to dance. I do a lot of Zumba. And um, the extension of that would be salsa dancing. So I, I love that. I just And I love traveling. So so again, you know, you know, my, my guy is going to be somebody who enjoys that and wants to like explore the world and try new foods and cultures and meet new people. So this is unrehearsed. So last year, yeah. you created a vision board. Tell us what's on a vision board. Yes, and and I'm curious, what on the vision board has come true? And what do you think you're going to focus on or prioritize this year? Ooh, that's a great one. So a vision board, and I recommend it to your listeners. It's a great idea. Um, I did it with my kids. So we each created our own vision board. Um, from magazine, you know, we just had like this big project. Each of us had a big whiteboard and we just used magazine, you know, bits and pieces to create it. My vision board, I would say is divided into like four pieces. So at the top left hand corner is the, the Rana, you know, the Rana kind of box. So um, I have a picture of the Maldives, which is where I'd like to have my honeymoon eventually when I find my person. <laughs> um it, and and then I and then you know I, I I'm prioritizing self care and exercise and eating well and health you know just being healthy so there's a big box and like art around that um, so I'd say that's like one part of it um, I love being a thought leader and I love being out there and inspiring people and so there's a you know there's part of the vision board where I continue to do that. Um, in the middle, there's something around I've, so I'm 43 and I've been to about 43 or so countries and I want to get to 50 countries by the time I turn 50. So there's something around exploring the world and getting to 50 countries soon. Um, and then on the right hand side, it's my professional life. So it's more about like continuing to explore artificial emotional intelligence and humanizing technology. Um, that was, I did it before. Affectiva's acquisition. So, you know, that's something new that that happened in the last year since since I put together the vision board. Um, I have a lot, you know, around the book and and um, 
you know, Girl Decoded, which is my memoir and where I can take that. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's really, it forces you to think about what you care about and where do you want to spend your energy. And, 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 and so it's, it's been a fun exercise. I should probably do, I should probably do it again this year. Do you feel like you're maybe reprioritizing the Rana Quadrant over some of the other ones? Because you were so focused on the success of Affectiva. Do you, do you maybe feel like you can, you can give yourself permission to focus on the Rana Quadrant a little more I'm than being before? Being a lot more intentional. Um, I have over the last, I'd say, 12 or so years, I've been just so heads down with work and with raising my kids um, that I, I really do think I've deprioritized myself and I want the next 10 years. I want there to be a shift in the balance uh, of, of, of where I spend my energy. I, I, one of my goals this year is, do you know Marie Kondo? I do. Yeah. So uh, I want to Marie Kondo my calendar. Um, I tend to like stuff my calendar with all sorts of meetings and things and so I, I, I just wanted to be more intentional about where I spend my time and just create, actually on my vision board, there's just a, in the middle, there's just a white square and it's empty. And, and what's supposed to go in there? Nothing. That, that's the whole idea. I want to just create like downtime, like space where I'm not doing, I'm just being. And that's very, that's, that's outside of my comfort zone. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I'm on day, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but I'm on day 255 of meditating every day. So I spend 15 minutes just kind of meditating and breathing. And then usually another 10 to 15 minutes doing my daily affirmations. And um, I use an app called day one to do that. And it's just been amazing. And I do, I, you know, my daily affirmations will change from day to day, depending on where I am and what's happening in the day. But it's things like my smile lights up the whole world. And I, and I write it out and I put it out there in the universe and, it, and I manifest it, right? Um, or I kick butt, right? <laughs> Regardless of, of whether I do or not, again, it just, it just kind of puts you in the right headspace and the right frame of mind to, to conquer the day. And it's, just been so helpful for me. I, I probably need to do more. Oh, that's cool. More of that. And let me guess, you probably have time blocked out in your calendar for your meditation and your your daily affirmations. That is correct. Right? <laughs> of course. All has to be accounted for. If you could take a step back and give Rana some advice for the future, what do you think that would be? know one one thing I um really struggle with is is this idea of um self-acceptance and being enough like feeling that I'm enough I just feel like I just need to always be doing more and being more and and I'm working on accepting that you know what I'm enough um as you are (laughs) you're enough as you are yes I'm enough as I am like you know I'm yeah um, and not be too hard on myself. I, I think I'm, I'm my biggest critique. And, and the other thing too, is having faith, like just trusting that the universe is, is, is going to do what's best for you and for, for people who you love. You know, in my case, it's my kids and my family just have trust 
that it's happening for a reason, um, even if it's not clear what that reason is. Rana, I want to thank you so much for joining me. This has been a really wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thanks again for listening to Interesting People for 20. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please go to ipfor20.com to listen to more. Or you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Keep doing great things. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Interesting People for 20. 